Welcome to Across the Pond, Marketing Transformed, a podcast that explores ways to transform your business and marketing strategy. Whether you're a rising star, entrepreneur, or experienced professional, a show packed with stories to inspire success and build a growth mindset for you and your company. Featuring global brand CMOs, transformation experts, and business founders, your co-hosts, Chris Lawson in London, UK, and Samuel Moni across the pond in Philadelphia, USA. Welcome to episode 11 of Across the Pond, Marketing Transform. My name's Chris Lawson, and I'm joined from the States by Samuel Moni. Say hello, Sam. Hey, Chris. Hola. Bonjour. Guten Tag. <laughs> International greeting hey. today. Good, good. Nice, nice bit of variety. Thanks for that, Sam. How are you doing? Okay? <laughs> I'm doing great. Sorry, I think that just might have amused me. Hopefully it may have amused some of the listeners as well. But <laughs> I'm raring to go. I think this show, this episode is going to be another barnstormer. We've got a great topic to, to get into. So why don't we just get started? Yeah, I, I, I agree. This is a this is a bit of a hot topic, a specialist subject of mine, something I feel really, really passionate about. So on this week's show, we're going to be talking about the rise of a retention specialist. Why that, rightly so, is an increase in focus on retention, not just growth. Uh, why one pound on engagement is worth five pound in an acquisition and some simple steps to an effective engagement strategy. And where did that shift come from? Interestingly, it's, it's often quoted that to retain a customer is five times cheaper than to acquire one. And that as pounds spent on your VIP customers increases your lifetime value and over, overall profitability of a customer. But the majority of the cases, acquisition, top of a funnel, marketing, uh, performance marketing, driving, traffic, tends to hog the limelight. So why, why is that? Why do we find ourselves in a situation where the CEO, the FD or the shareholders focuses on acquisition at the expense of retention? Now, of course, I'm not arguing it's an either or situation, but I am arguing that there's a balance and that it's tipped too far towards acquisition. But encouragingly, Sam, I see that coming back now which I'm really pleased about. Um, and Sam, what what do you think the most talked about job title is over the last few years? Great question, actually, Chris. I think top of mind when you think about titles, growth hacking, growth hacker, head of growth, yeah. chief growth officer, growth specialist. Okay, so you get the point. Yeah, I get the point. That it's, covers it's, most of them, I think. I think it's a term attributed to Sean Ellis from around 2010, um, and it's only continued to become more prevalent. He, he coined the term growth hacking to describe the sustainable growth approach used by hyper-growth companies like Facebook and Airbnb and Amazon. His definition is that a growth hacker is a person whose true north is growth and scaling it. It's about optimizing and being scrappy in how you drive that growth and focusing on how, for example, if I got you to order from my restaurant, how do I get you back in again and again mm. and again, which means to try different days of the week or different offers. If you buy lunch without a drink, I'm going to find ways to get you to add a drink. Then after that, to add a cookie or add a biscuit in the UK. I'm going to test what you do if I offer you cheaper delivery or what you do if I offer you free delivery. I'm going to learn that you tend to order a certain from a certain restaurant for breakfast on a Saturday and I'm going to prompt you 30 minutes before your usual order time to order. Thank you Grubhub. That may just be a personal story right there. <laughs> yeah, and maybe, but uh, I think it's a, it's a common thread running through there. And, and that's right, that's growth hacking. And as a principle, I think it makes absolute sense, a person or a team that can cut through the boundaries and focus on growth. But my problem with it, Sam, is that they have seen a 
Uh, we've seen an abundance of acquisition marketers renamed from acquisition marketing to growth hacking and mm -hmm. engagement and retention is given mm. second billing. And I think there's nothing worse than a half executed philosophy um, because that's not what achieves sustainable growth. What achieves sustainable growth is by making sure that we focus on the whole lifetime value. Acquiring a new customer, five times more expensive as retaining an existing customer. I said that up front. A couple of interesting mm. other stats from a few studies as well. Success rate of selling a customer you already have is 60 to 70%, while the success rate of selling to a new customer is 5 to 20%. Mm. Um, so that, for, for me, speaks volume. So if you want to grow, sort out your retention and engagement problem. So there you go, Chris. I think you're just like getting on top of your soapbox, perhaps going a bit higher. So tell us more about why you're so bullish about this philosophy. Well, simply put, it's about human behavior. And, and that's why I want to focus on mindset as well, a, a theme that we come back to time and time again, mm. because without the right mindset, we will fail. You know, let, let's look at that in more detail. Cake or broccoli, you know, it's a, <laughs> it's a simple choice for a lot of people. Cake, cake wins every time. And we're, we're programmed for that short-term gratification, that pleasure principle. You know, we're attracted by the headlines for lose seven pounds in seven days rather than the healthy eating plan. So we, we're attracted to that short term. And as you might guess, that emotional part of our brain responds positively to instant gratification. And so when we're given that choice of cake now or broccoli later, <laughs> this part of the grain pushes you to choose a cake. And we undervalue those future rewards. Yeah, it's a psychological model, which is uh, called the pleasure principle. And it's believed that humans act on that pleasure pr principle. And it's basically a driving force that compels human beings to sort of gratify their needs, wants and urges as quickly as they can. And and we you know we live in a sort of instant gratification society mm. now, which encourages that short term thinking, and we even expect business growth to to work in the the same way. Uh, a phenomenon long considered to be gradual to happen overnight, like the viral explosion of a YouTube video. Um, we want to hack business growth for viral expansion. So when we look at something like growth hacking, which was based around the, the growth of like those hyper growth companies like Airbnb and Facebook, again, we, we see that situation. But if you look at highly successful people and you compare them with average performers, you quickly identify that there's a big difference. The most successful people are almost always long-term orientated, while most average performers and especially underperformers are short-term mm. orientated. Now, I'm not saying, Sam, that you shouldn't be alert to the short-term opportunity, right. be able to take advantage of the, the, the tactical nature of what might well happen. But overall... I think that you're you're in a situation where if you can plan this out, if you can look at the the longer term benefits, then you see that. And, and the, the challenge is, is that our CEOs, our finance directors, even our CMOs, our shareholders, they're human too, or at least most of them. And <laughs> and, and you oh, find yourself you find yourself in a situation where. Um, you're brought back to that short-term fix saying, look, yeah, I understand all of the stuff that we need to put in place, but let's focus on acquisition. So, yeah, it does feel a little bit soapboxy today for me, Sam, but uh, I think that the good news is... Yeah, yeah, I think, I think you've, you, yeah, you, you kind of, you've kind of usurped me on this. So, the, the, yeah, the good news <laughs> is, sorry, I cut you off there. 
<laughs> now, the good news is I think that that balance towards long-term thinking is focusing on customer retention is happening and we have to focus on retention and engagement and we're seeing that sort of pendulum swing back a bit. Mm. Um, any of that ring true, Sam, or, or do you sort of see it a different way? Well, see, I can't really say no now because, like, the, you've got some sort of um, electron, electronic uh, sort of um, soapbox, which is just rising and rising and rising. <laughs> I could see you, like, with your arms stretched, looking over an audience, you know, preaching this from a stage and getting people, you must do this. And to be honest, we did cover this a bit in episode nine, actually, when we talked about achieving optimum growth and called out the role of the Rundle, which is the recurring revenue um, mm, bundle. Mm. And uh, it's it helps the, the premise of the Rundle is actually not my term. It's Scott Galloway's an entrepreneur who uses it a lot. And he talks about how it helps with predicting capital expenditure and revenue streams and really leveraging what it means to be human, i.e. our inability to actually know that the gym membership is costing us more than we actually get out of it. So we say we're going to go like five or six times when we really only go once or twice, not speaking from personal stories here. Or like, for example, the music subscription is actually costing us more by the, the amount of times we listen to certain songs or certain tracks, we're actually costing us more than buying the album, owning it outright the first time. Mm. And Apple Arcade is another great example where um, you, they're giving people subscriptions to hundreds of games games, depending on the fact that it will generate huge adoption as an alternative to buying individual games, which kind of makes sense. And then even more recently, Nike, um, Nike or Nike, depending on um, which, you know, your pronunciation, they have this uh, Nike Adventure Club kids subscription, which is they think they launched that around August, September 2019. The idea here is to get kids when they're young, when their feet are growing, kind of a smart move, and when kids need four pairs a year. So their, their minimum for this subscription is four pairs a year. And they're trying out different tiers with, for example, an offering at $50 <laughs> for a pair of, of, um, of sneakers or trainers in the UK a month. We'll see how that goes. But they're, they're absolutely buying in. So, yes, what you're saying is true, and we're seeing it more and more and more. I mean, jump in, Chris. Can you give us more context, and can you talk a bit more about the hands-on work that you've been doing in this space? Yeah, I think for me, it was time to see this groundswell because there's an abundance of subscription products in the marketplace at the moment. Um, you know, we really have sort of seen that momentum grow. Um, and whether it's from HelloFresh to Netflix or your telco provider, um, we're seeing subscription everywhere. And, and, and quite often we're seeing them in areas that we, we least expect them as well. Uh, recently presented at a conference in October in Boston called The Subscription Show. Fantastic mm -hmm. con conference, actually, and a huge array of subscription companies represented. And it felt it felt like a bit of an awakening, really. It felt there was a like, momentum um, out there with a number of retention and engagement marketers taking on a much more senior role within their organizations and gaining much more traction. There was really energy, real energy in that room mm -hmm. and optimism, but also a huge amount of experience, which was predominantly focused around that lifetime value, how you drive that uh, experience from end to end and make sure that your focus as much on retention as acquisition. And, and it's interesting, there's a research piece by a company called Zora, um, and they do a subscription economy index. And over the past seven years, um, they believe across America, North America, that is Europe and Asia Pacific, that they've seen their sell, subscription sales grow by more than 300%. And McKinsey have reported that They've seen subscription e-com market grown by about 100% um, over the past five years, and that's 100% per year, and actually move up from being a mere 57 million 
dollars mm. in 2011, up to about 2.6 billion in sales in 2016. So, I mean, absolutely staggering growth there. I mean, it's interesting. I was working out how many subscriptions that I actually have. It's probably about eight or nine. I don't know okay. how many it would be for you, Sam, but yeah. But, uh, one piece of research I saw on average is about seven now. Where do you think you come out? Yeah, probably more if I start t- t- um, <laughs> adding them up. And it, as you say, it's the gym, it's the music subscription. Oh, it's the other music s- subscription that um, that I'm kind of using with my wife. And then there's some stuff I have with Amazon, subscribe and save, and I'm addicted to that. So I've got like five, seven, eight things which get shipped every quarter from them. So yeah, around that same amount and probably a lot of money that's being spent through that, through that means, which are probably less conscious or less price sensitive or just less stressed about because it, it kind of solves other things by just setting up and not forgetting about it but just letting it carry on because um you, you got you got enough going on to, to make decisions on completely and and it's all part of a transformation that we're seeing i think uh, you know the some of the stuff that was coming out of a the show there was uh, an array of great speakers but uh, some of the things that really struck me was that absolute focus on customer satisfaction from end to end that was something that i was talking about making sure you dismantle every single piece of your customer funnel, testing it and putting it back together again. Um, A lot of analysis about where you should be focusing your effort. And if you're going to focus it anywhere, focus on those first 90 days of the onboarding journey, cement those brand values and attributes into your audience at that early stage, and then make sure that you rinse and repeat and keep reflecting on that. But the first 90 days being Mm. an incredibly important bit. And the quote for me from the subscription show was, don't hide the cancel button. Uh, I think mm-hmm. back in the back in the um, dark arts days of subscription marketing where you'd sign someone up on a, a recurring basis and, and you'd wait for, and you'd effectively buy marketing via inertia um, and you'd wait for someone to, to recognize. I think those days are, are coming to an end. I still think there's a few sort of sharp practices out there. But increasingly, it's about making someone want that relationship and want it to carry on going mm-hmm. and making it clear that at any point you can cancel it. Um, and it was, again, quite refreshing to be surrounded by 300 professionals all pretty much preaching from that point. But where right. do you start? I think where you really start is you must storyboard and walk through that customer journey. If you've got an existing customer journey, sit down with your team, not the marketing team, but your sales, product, marketing, commercial team, get them in a room and walk through that customer journey step by step by step and work out whether it conveys your brand promise at every stage. It's absolutely fascinating. It's something that you think that we would do as a matter of course, but to actually put yourself in the shoes of a consumer with the relevant parties in a room and work it through um, is amazing what it it comes up. And uh, I'm never, I'm always surprised that such a simple technique is not really done um, nearly enough. Um, Mm. Yeah. So, so that, that was it. I mean, I'll come back to a few other things that came out, but they were the things that struck me from the show. Yeah, they all make sense. And, you know, just as you're talking there, right, I, funnily enough, it kind of, in terms of me putting it into practice and work that that I've done, it, it I, I think I first got into applying those principles and that philosophy in my marketing via a guy called Joseph Jaffe and his book called Flip the Funnel. 
Ah, it's a great and book, that. that. That came out, I think, a similar time to actually this growth hacking concept. Mm. And his angle was about the power of retaining and rewarding existing customers and using them to recruit new ones. At the time, I was working on the Kenmore brand, um, Sears. So I, I devised what I called an R3 strategy or R-cubed or whatever. Um, forget the name. It was more about retaining, referring, and recruiting um, consumers. It was thinking through how the business worked and uh, creating a relationship management ecosystem targeting existing consumers, owners of our products, as well as new purchasers as an ongoing marketing lever so that the average purchase cycle was like seven years for appliances. And it was a way to try and provide a sustainable platform that would give us some brand advocacy and referral that would leverage some of the communication we've got, we had working. And it was also a way to try and tap into and create a platform for customer service and also, we were focusing on our major appliances like um, laundry appliances and fridges and dish um, dishwashers and cooking appliances, but also to support the higher online conversion rates of things like small appliances and replacement parts. So what we did was, it was about retaining um, consumers when they came back in or purchasing a smaller appliance, be it a toaster oven or a coffee maker or a kettle, using that relationship to actually get them to, to stay with us and talk more so that they could refer refer the, their experiences with the products, what was getting them to talk about it, to blog about it, to share and eulogize about the brand. Because if you're having a great experience and you love the feature, you love the way it works, it's reliable, it, it gives you um, benefits that you, you know, you're not getting from others, mm. other brands or other products, you really you want to share it, especially when it comes to food and cooking. People love to talk about that stuff organically and naturally. You get a new washing machine that washes faster and dries better than what you used to have. The amount of time it saves you and, you know, you can do the, you can get on with other stuff in your life versus spending it all on that. You want to actually tell your your friends and your um, your peers and your colleagues and your neighbors that this is something that they can do as well. And we, the, so we had the retain part, the refer part, and the recruit part was about leveraging those brand lovers to recruit those purchasers, you know, satisfied and happy customers that love the brand as influencers. They provide the best testimonials and the best advocacy because they speak with the veracity and authenticity mm. that's it's being that stuff's being lost by modern day influencers that are getting paid. Um, and, and those are the best referrals you can get. So this retain, refer, recruit was the initiative, was the idea. But I have to admit, it was tough to get in, to, um, to get buy-in for, for, because it was about moving resources from prospecting new to existing consumers there we go. and that, that was antithetical again that was just so antithetical at the time and looking back now i see the headwinds i face were probably because you know 2010 this was 2011 this is all new and it was perhaps a little bit ahead of its time because there weren't the abundant examples that we've just talked about on this show that actually existed out there. And it was a bit of an unusual approach. I mean, we were I was able to get um, support via customer satisfaction programs such as troubleshooting and mitigating um, problems through social. So using social to solve the consumer issues was actually faster and easier than, go, than the consumer to actually go through the call center or the help center or try and contact the store. And I have to give, out, give a shout out to my partner in crime at, at the time, um, a guy called Rich Goldsmith, who we were kind of basically, I took $10,000 from my PR budget and I was using it for social customer service and re um, retention and rescuing um, bad situations that consumers were having, which was solving the problem in, in hours, which was taking weeks to not be solved by the official, as I say, customer service or the, you know, the stores or the, um, the service department. So that's something that I was able to do to help with the retention part, which would hopefully lead to some of the, the referrals. But I mean, Chris, 
that's a story from my experience. Before we wrap up, can you just give us um, some examples and strategies that you love in this space? Yeah, I mean, look, just listening to you there, I think you're, you're, you've talked about a lot of them. A lot of it is about making sure that you're, you've got that empathy, that you're, you've got that early warning system, that early listening system, and you're talking to your customers in any manner that you possibly can. I mean, Interestingly, rather than focus on a specific brand, what, what what I really like is how a number of brands or products now are making great use of notifications to maximize that engagement in a way that is not intrusive to the customer. Back in the day, you, you would be limited to email, so you'd be doing it via your newsletter and your follow-up communications. But the ones that are winning are the ones that seamlessly integrate text message, desktop and in-app notifications, personalized web pages, along with email, occasionally a bit of direct marketing as well, um, traditional direct mail. And and I think that they are the ones where, again, bringing us back to the sort of a show title around the, sort of the rise of uh, engagement and retention specialist is, is using the expertise, using that sort of digital and direct marketing philosophy, but combining it with mm. new technology. Point being is that you you have to get back to basics. Engagement means engagement. It's a dialogue, a two-way conversation where you adapt to the pace, the communication channels, the temperament of the person that you want to have a conversation with. Mm. But increasingly, the engagement strategies that are, that are working are ones that are built on that strong philosophy, but have a, a good marketing technology backbone. So it's the ones that have already built that into their product offering, um, yeah, which I think do that very well. Um, mm. and, and what about you? So I, I love the I love the fact that earlier on when you were calling out your subscriptions that you start to get a bit passionate about Amazon there. Um, would that would be that be one, or is there another one that you think is is more relevant? Well, actually, you, you know, we we we've talked a lot about for profit commercial brands and organisations that we love, but I I like to look for me one of the best examples out there is mm. I love Kiva, Kiva um, org, which is a microfinance non profit founded around two thousand and five actually that uses micro loans to communities with limited funds, and the tagline is make a loan change a life. Essentially, they've made it really easy to invest in people for. for is perhaps a negative or more infrequent thought of donations or giving to charity. I signed up around 10 years ago now, and they make it very personal. So you can see the people, you can see their story and their success stories. You can um, choose by repayment rates, so that, which encourages to lend back. In fact, it, it makes you want to lend, lend more and essentially acts as a permanent loan. It's it's more purposeful than other charitable ch- gifts. The idea of economic benefit makes it feel less do-goody mm. and more about equity and meaningful contribution. And I think it builds empathy as you see yourself in the people and you see their entrepreneurial spirit and it just feels better and different. So you can select by, say, gender, if you want to support female businesses, if you want to support the arts, you want to support environmentals, you want to choose by country, you want to choose perhaps by a younger entrepreneur. So there's so many great ways you can get involved and basically they i am retained <laughs> you know it's not a one and done i'm i'm retained for years and years yeah. and years and yeah. so r- this this money is just being recycled and reinvested and essentially i've gifted this money and i'm, I'm having some say in it but it, it, there is a way that you're engaging me even from that side so i think they, they're a great example of how they've they've managed to really tap into this and they've been doing it for years yeah again not can uh, not hiding the cancel button making you want to be part of that continuously 
Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I, I like that. That's a good example. Interestingly, the, the other area of thinking that um, around retention is the importance about creating super fans within your organization as well or, or brand. You know, letting your audience be your marketing department. Again, this can only be done if you focus on engagement. So I think that the balance is coming back and, and that's absolutely right. It, that was a, another strong theme that sort of came out at the subscription show. It was uh, something that formed part of uh, the presentation I gave where I was talking around um, Absolute Radio and how we launched that based on trying to think of our audience being our marketing department. Obviously, the, the work of The Guardian, where you're trying to break down those boundaries between employee and audience and saying that we, we want you to be part of this membership to help sustain the Guardian for the future. And, and interestingly, a, a really smart guy, uh, David Meerman Scott, who has written so many books. And uh, um, but it was the first time I've heard him speak, who, and he spoke brilliantly at the show. And he talked about fanocracy. Um, I think that was the term that um, he, he called it, the importance of creating fans. And uh, I think that's some uh, subject to, that we will come back to for another podcast. It certainly came up and, and piqued my interest. Um, but Sam, time's getting sure. on. Let's do that in a future episode. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah. Um, sorry to cut you off there. Um, but, uh, you know, I know that uh, the listeners like us to try and keep it snappy. Um, so why why don't you try and sum up um, in the eloquent way that you always manage it, the sort of the three themes that you think come out of this session? Yeah, from today's show, I think it's about working with human behavior, that cake or broccoli line. You know, how do I make it a win-win and, and make it about uh, working with human behavior, but just don't hide the cancel button. So that's the first one. The second thing is it's a business model. You have to find a way for your business. So you've got to dismantle your and reconstruct your funnel and your journey, but you have to find a way to make this, this model work for your business. And the third thing is for legacy brands and organizations, don't expect the status quo to agree to buy in. You're going to have to sell. You're going to have to influence. You're going to have to fight to change the current status quo in order to buy into this approach. So those are the three things I would say are the takeaways from today's show. Yeah. I mean, again, you come back to to mindset, which has been a, a theme throughout the first uh, 11 episodes, I think, where it's important to try and tackle that mindset and, and make sure that you're doing that throughout the organization. Um, Interestingly, uh, we're gonna we're gonna make it quite tangible for next show. We're gonna focus on measurement. How do you measure success? What do all of those acronyms mean? And are they worth anything? And, and we want to make sure we get specific on how to know you're succeeding and meeting expectations, and and try and give you a, a new perspective on the the modern marketing scorecard, which uh, is is something that Sam and I have sort of talked about uh, on a number of different occasions. So uh, so I think that's going to be a good show. Yeah, sounds like a great show, Chris. I think you know we've got to get cracking on it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they, they come around fast. Uh, well, look, that's all that we've got time for this week, Sam. But a great show. Thanks for your input. I, I loved that um, last example. You you gave i thought that was really really powerful and uh thanks listeners thank you for listening uh keep sending your feedback through it's really appreciated and we are incorporating it where we can um so that's it okay thanks chris until next time have a good week across the pond well that's it for this week's show we hope you enjoyed it find more by visiting marketingtransform.com and click on the subscribe link if you listen via apple spotify soundcloud or anything else then click on follow Subscribe or type Marketing Transformed into search. We're a new show, so please leave us a review. 
comment or ask a question. We'd love to hear from you. Get in touch at marketingtransformedshow at gmail.com.